We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Are you a broken vessel, weighted down with discouragement, illness, or perhaps a disability? Well, take heart. Whatever your burden may be, God offers treasures that will transform your life. Hello, dear listeners. You're listening to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. And here are your hosts, Paul and Tabitha Norris. Let's talk about heaven. Are you longing for that wonderful place you've not yet seen? Are you yearning to see our Savior Jesus Christ face to face? The Bible addresses the subject of heaven many times and encourages us to set our minds on things above. Having an accurate view of heaven provides perspective in times of trouble and motivates us to prepare for what lies ahead. Heaven does matter, and that's why we're especially excited today to gain more insight on this very important subject from our special guest. Joining us to talk about his latest book, The Case for Heaven, best-selling and award-winning author, the one and only Lee Strobel. Lee, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you having me. Great to be with you and your listeners. Well, first of all, we just want to say congratulations on your upcoming publication of The Case for Heaven. Paul and I have followed your ministry, and your series of books have been excellent resources for both new and mature Christians alike, just helping believers learn how to defend your faith. The Case for Heaven, we couldn't put it down. (laughs) Just like your other books, it definitely takes a unique and balanced approach in examining this topic. Well, thanks. It's been a a real adventure writing it. And, uh, you know, the approach I take to my books is that I don't have to be the world's leading expert. I just go out and find the world's leading experts. And then I ask them the kind of questions that I think are on all of our minds and uh, try to translate uh, what these scholars have to say into everyday language that we can all follow. Well, it's definitely a book we recommend to anyone who's curious about what awaits us after death. But before we dive deeper into your latest work, Lee, let's go back a bit. Your life story is captured in the case for Christ, which has not only been highly influential in leading people to salvation in Jesus, but also been made into a movie. Uh, Tabitha and I watched it and thoroughly enjoyed it and were deeply moved. Uh, What an incredible testimony you have. Would you please start by telling us about yourself? How was your life touched and changed by Jesus Christ? Yeah, I mean, I was an atheist for much of my life. Uh, My background's in journalism and law, so I tend to be kind of a skeptical person who wants evidence and reason and logic and rationality. I thought that the idea of God was uh, absurd. Uh, I thought that God didn't create people, but people uh, created God because they were afraid of death. So they made up this idea of heaven and an afterlife to make themselves feel better about dying. Uh, my wife was agnostic. She um, didn't know what to think about the spiritual stuff. I was legal editor of the Chicago Tribune newspaper. My degrees are in journalism and law. And um, my wife met a woman who was a, a nurse and a Christian who became her best friend, who shared Jesus with her, invited her to church. Leslie went and checked it out and uh, came up to me one day and gave me the news that she had become a Christian which at the time as an atheist, I thought was uh, really bad news. And um, so I thought there's a way I could rescue her from this cult that she's gotten involved in by disproving the resurrection of Jesus, because even I as an atheist recognize that Christianity is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, which is how he proved that he is indeed the son of God. 
And uh, so I spent two years of my life using my journalism and legal training to investigate uh, the historical evidence for the resurrection and ultimately became convinced that it's true and uh, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the one and only Son of God. And uh, I bent my knee to him, confessed my sins, received forgiveness through him and um, on November the 8th of 1981. And then uh, my life began to change as my wife's had changed for the good. I mean, my values, my character, my morality, my attitudes, my priorities, my parenting, my relationships. I mean, every aspect of my life over time uh, began to change for the good. So God has really touched uh, every aspect of who I am and given me a whole new mission and a whole new um, enthusiasm for telling the world the good news of Jesus. Mm, praise the Lord. So what is the story and inspiration behind the case for heaven? Well, uh, 10 years ago, I almost died. Um, my wife found me unconscious on the bedroom floor. I called an ambulance. I woke up in the emergency room and the doctor said, uh, you're one step away from a coma, two steps away from dying. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, hovering between life and death for quite a while there. And uh, I had... Um, a rare condition called hyponatremia, which is a drop in blood sodium level. Um, and what that does is cause your brain cells to take in moisture and your brain to expand. Well, of course, there's no room for your brain to expand inside your skull. And so you have hallucinations, which I did. And um, you go unconscious and have seizures and ultimately die. Um, so fortunately, it'll never happen to me again. That's the good news. But um they have to very carefully raise that blood sodium level or you'll become paralyzed or mentally disabled. So fortunately, they were able to save me. And uh, it just struck me this was a very clarifying experience because when you're on the edge of death like that, you really, there's nothing more important than what happens after you close your eyes for the last time in this world. And so I thought if it's important then, it's important, it should be important now. And uh, so that's what kind of got me interested in really exploring how do I know that um, we indeed do live on after death and that there is a place called heaven and a place called hell. And so I traveled the country and interviewed experts, uh, neuroscientists and philosophers and theologians and others uh, about the reality of heaven. Well, heaven is a vast subject. Well, we really appreciate how thoroughly you addressed it and you tackled some of the most difficult questions. Well, thanks. Yeah, um, you kind of touched on this a second ago, but could you develop it a little more? How did you go about researching for this book? Yeah, the the way I approach my books is um, I try to look at it from the viewpoint of of a non-believer, someone who's skeptical. And um, I I look at the various uh, ways that we know that heaven is true. And um, then I seek out um, leading experts. Um, I travel the country. I usually bring my wife, Leslie, with me. And we sit down with these experts and um, I interview them sometimes for an entire day, uh, create a transcript. And from that transcript, I edit it down to the relevant portions. And uh, so that way, I don't have to be the world's leading expert. I just find the experts. And uh, um, there's an old saying, you want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. In other words, you want to make it accessible to people. And so when I interview a neuroscientist or something, I try to figure out how I can exp- help express that in a way that everyday people like me can understand it. And then, of course, the readers can get it, too. So. Um, I see my role as being a bridge between the world of scholars 
and the everyday world. Uh, and that's what a journalist does. Um, and uh, that, so that's how I pursued this book and, and really almost all my other books. And through your interviews and research on heaven, do you believe it's possible to know without a doubt that we can know what happens to us after we die? I think we can have great confidence. I think we can know beyond a reasonable doubt uh, what happens with us uh, after we die. And the reason I say that is um, I, I look at three strands of evidence. First of all, are we just a brain? Are we just a physical brain? No, I believe that uh, there's good evidence that we're not just a brain, but we're a spirit, we're a consciousness, we're, we have a soul. And can that soul live on? Well, I looked at uh, the evidence for near-death experiences where we have people who literally are clinically dead. They have no brain activity, no heart activity. Uh, some of them have been declared dead, and yet they have experiences that can be corroborated. They see things and, and experience things that they could not have experienced or seen if their spirit had not left their body, had not continued after their clinical death. And then I look at Jesus. You know, if, if Jesus really did die and then three days later returned from the dead, he's an expert on the afterlife. He was there. In fact, he's the son of God who created the afterlife. Right. And so, um, so I looked at the evidence for the resurrection, which I believe is clear and compelling. And um, I believe based on that, we can trust what he tells us about the reality of heaven. And I think those, that, those kind of um, uh, bits of evidence, which are corroborated, you know, for instance, uh, in the case of Jesus, we have nine sources from ancient history uh, confirming the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. And we have good historical reason to believe that he did die and that he was resurrected. And based on that historical data, uh, I think it makes sense to trust what he tells us about heaven. What did you discover to be the biggest misconceptions and the most surprising truths about heaven? Well, I think a lot of people picture heaven as being um, an ethereal place. You know, we're up in the clouds someplace. We're not, we don't have physical bodies. We're just a spirit. And that's just not the way the Bible portrays it. Uh, as we read the book of Revelation, what we find is uh, it doesn't say God decided to make new things. He said he decided to make uh, all things new. And so we have a new earth and a new heaven, a new heaven and new earth that the Bible talks about. And so I believe that heaven is a very physical place. Uh, we will have resurrected bodies. Jesus did. And we can look at his resurrected body and get some idea of what our resurrected body will be like. And um, um, and it'll be earth without the tainting of sin. In other words, like the Garden of Eden before sin entered into the world, it would be a place of perfection. Uh, but it'll be a very real place, very physical place. I believe that it'll be a theocentric place. By that, I mean it will be a place focused on God. Mm -hmm. But it's also a place, I believe, where there'll be relationships and uh, friendships and so forth. Uh, I believe it'll be a place of adventure and excitement and growth and, um, um, and so forth. It won't be a boring you know, uh, experience where we'll get uh, tired of uh, worshiping God. You know, God is endless. God is, God is infinite. And so it, it, we can explore him and who he is for infinity and never come to the end of him. Um, and, and so I, 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 I just feel like heaven has been underrated by a lot of people. They, they dismiss it as being, Oh, just somewhere, somewhere in the clouds. When in reality, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Being avid coffee drinkers, we really enjoyed reading your illustration on the smell of coffee. 
Tell us about that and how it strengthened your belief in the existence of a soul. Yeah, I interviewed a neuroscientist uh, with a PhD from Cambridge University, Dr. Sharon Dirix, mm -hmm. and um, about are we just a brain? In fact, she's written a book called Are We Just Our Brain? And the answer is no, we're more than our brain. Our brain is just a, a set of uh, neurons firing and very physical. And we can, we can map the brain and look at how it reacts when certain things occur, but we can't map or explore the mind and what thinking is actually taking place. And one of the examples she used, she said to me, um, how would you describe the smell of coffee? Well, I'm a writer. You'd think I'd be able to describe the smell of coffee, but that's, <laughs> right. a, that's a very difficult thing to do when you think about it. How, how would you explain the smell of coffee to someone who's never smelled coffee before? Um, it's very difficult. You could go through the physical properties of caffeine. You could talk about the way the, um, the brain processes smells, but that doesn't get you any closer to what the smell of coffee is like. You have to experience it. You have to have a first-person experience, and that's what our consciousness is. It's that first-person experience. Uh, another example she gave is she said, imagine uh, there's a woman named Mary who's an expert, the world's leading expert on um, uh, eyesight. She understands how the eye works, every uh, the, the chemical process, the neurological process of how images are uh, created for the, in the brain. She understands everything about the physical process of vision, and yet she's blind. Here's the question. If she all of a sudden got her eyesight for the first time, would she know anything new at that moment about eyesight? Well, yeah, of course. She would experience eyesight. She would have all kinds of new appreciation and understanding of eyesight because she would have a first person experience of it. That's our consciousness. That's our spirit. That's our soul. And, uh, and because we are a hyphenate creature, that is both spirit and body, um, our spirit, our soul can survive physical death. There are people all over the continuum of beliefs on heaven. Various faiths and cultural influences play huge roles in shaping what we think and even what we question about the afterlife. Some religions, for example, hold to reincarnation. Do you find reincarnation to be problematic or biblical? I find it to be problematic and, and certainly not biblical, even though there's a small percentage, uh, according to public opinion polls, of Christians who say they believe in reincarnation. I mean, that's an oxymoron. That just doesn't work. Um, reincarnation, first of all, the goal of reincarnation is not heaven. It's enlightenment. It's nirvana. And nirvana has been described as being what's left when you blow out a candle. In other words, it's the extinguishing of yourself. So the goal of reincarnation is, is not heaven. Uh, secondly, reincarnation is the absolute opposite of Christianity. What do I mean by that? Well, Christianity is the only religion that is based on grace. Uh, every other faith in the world is based on trying to earn your way to God, trying to accomplish something to try to earn your way to heaven or to an afterlife. Uh, Christianity is based on grace. We can't earn our way to heaven. We have to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased for us on the cross when he died as our substitute to pay for all of our sins. Amen. Um, and so reincarnation is the opposite because not only in reincarnation do you have to work off your bad karma, in other words, try to earn your way to God in one lifetime, 
You got to keep coming back in multiple lifetimes to try to earn your way to God. So it's the complete opposite of grace. Um, and, and, and it doesn't really make sense really, because, um, in, in religions that believe in reincarnation, there is no ultimate God. Everything is God. There's no personal God. And yet this idea of karma, which is the bad things that you do create bad karma that you try to work off in future lifetimes, who administers that? Uh, Deepak Chopra says, well, the calculations are made by the universe itself, just like the law of gravity. Well, this is not a physical law. This is a moral issue. And so it needs a, an intelligence behind it to judge that. What's more, if you're working off your bad karma in your lifetime from previous lifetimes, you don't know what you did. You don't know what you did wrong 100 lifetimes ago that you're trying to make right in this lifetime. Uh, and so it doesn't even make sense. Uh, and, and what's more, it, it doesn't encourage us to be loving toward people who are hurting and toward people who are poor mm -hmm. because you don't want to interrupt their working off of their bad karma um, by helping them. And so it discourages people from being generous and helpful to people who are struggling. So I think it's problematic on a lot of different levels. And, and you know, I believe the evidence of of uh, resurrection, the historical data for the resurrection of G Jesus is, is very compelling, whereas I don't see that for reincarnation. Wow, that's really well said. I, I lived in India for several years, and Hindus, you know, I'm sure you know, hold to reincarnation. And yes. it's really sad how that affects the way they interact with people, especially yeah. people who, as you said, are poor or disabled. Yeah, it's very sad. I've been to India uh, as well and uh, observed that, and um, I just found it heartbreaking. Well, let's come from the biblical perspective. What are some of your favorite passages of Scripture on heaven? Oh, golly, um, there's so many. I, I think one of my favorites, though, is um, uh, what Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of John in John chapter 14, uh, when he, he used this metaphor of a home to describe heaven. He said, there's more than enough room in my Father's home for you, he was telling his disciples. And what I love about that is if you've ever traveled internationally as you, you know, maybe in India or someplace in the world, you're away from home for a long time. And maybe it's difficult as you're living out of a suitcase in hotels or in, in villages that you don't know the language. It's very, it's, it's difficult. And you begin to long for home and you have homesickness. And then when you finally get back to your home, it's such a place of warmth and security and love, and you get in your own bed, and it's, so, it's such a wonderful experience. Well, that's the metaphor that Jesus uses when he's telling his disciples about heaven. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of, you know, a homesickness, the fact that this world we're living in right now is not our home. Uh, we're going to spend a lot more time in our heavenly home than we are in this home in this world. Mm -hmm. And that's the home that we really should be longing for. And it, it, and it is a place of warmth and security and love. Um, so I, I think that's a, a, a wonderful way to look at it. Uh, and there's also the verse uh, that talks about no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever even imagined um, uh, what God has prepared for those that love him. And what that tells me is, you know, we don't we don't even know uh, many details about what heaven will be like. Um, we can't even imagine it. And yet God, this 
who is so creative. He created the universe, the galaxies, the stars, uh, plant life, animal life. This wonderfully creative God has created a place for each of us in the world to come who follow Jesus. And, and uh, we can trust him that it's going to, it's going to blow our minds. Um, so I'm, uh, you know, I, I read those kind of descriptions and I say, I, I'm anticipating with uh, a certain amount of longing, this uh, experience of heaven and what it'll be like. Yeah. Well, when it comes to eternity, what do you look forward to most? Well, you know, being in the presence of God himself, seeing the face of God, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards, my son is a, is a Jonathan Edwards scholar with a PhD from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards was one of the great uh, intellects of, of all time. And um, he, he said, seeing the face of God will be a happifying experience. Well, he invented a word, happifying which I think is wonderful. Uh, it's going to make us happy. It's going to make us joyful. It's going to make us full of, of um, uh, as my Scottish friends say, full of weak leads. You know? <laughs> uh, we're going to, to, so I think to be in the presence of God himself and, you know, Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, preacher said, not only to see the face of Jesus, not only to touch him, but to feel him kissing us. Uh, and as he welcomes us, um, that's just a, a wonderful, wonderful picture. Before we let you go, Lee, we'd be remiss not to ask when and where can our audience find your book? Well, uh, if they go to the website caseforheaven.com, all one word, caseforheaven.com, they can read a free excerpt um, or they can order the book there. There's also for people who pre-order, there's a um, uh, free video that they get access to where my wife, Leslie, kind of turns the tables on me and, and, and uh, cross-examines me about, <laughs> about heaven, uh, which was kind of fun. But um, there's all kinds of information there. And, uh, uh, you know, it's I'm hoping, you know, we live in a world right now because of COVID where a lot of people are thinking about death. Twenty nine percent of Americans know someone who has died of COVID. Uh, my brother died uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and, and so a lot of people are asking questions about death and, and is there more to this life? Is there, does life continue? Is there an afterlife? And I really, my prayer is my book will be an encouragement to people and they'll realize the reality of heaven. And, you know, I have two chapters on hell. I, you can't ignore the fact that, um, you know, there are those who are going to reject God their entire life and, will be separated from him for eternity. That's a very sad reality, but right. I talk about that as well. But I hope the book's an encouragement that anybody anywhere in any culture at any time who receives this free gift of God's grace um, is bound for heaven and will spend eternity with God. We know the, the book has certainly been a great inspiration to us, and it will be to our audience as well. Well, thank you. We'll be sure to put the link in our show notes and our website and even our Facebook page. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, Lee, thanks so much for being with us today. It's truly been a pleasure visiting with you. We're excited to see how God is using you. Well, I really appreciate that. It's been a joy. And, and uh, you know, I never would have anticipated when I was an atheist that I'd be writing books about God. But I'm, I'm so grateful God got a hold of my life because I can't imagine how it would have turned out otherwise. God bless you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Well, dear listeners, it's been another wonderful season for us on Broken Vessels Hidden Treasures podcast. 
Your comments, encouragement, prayers, and generous financial support have made our ministry possible. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We look forward to Season 4, beginning next year in 2022, from a new location in northern Idaho. Until then, keep those prayers, comments, and questions pouring in. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God be with you all. Thanks for tuning in today to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. It is our hope and prayer that you will find the grace and goodness of God even in trials. We'd love to hear from you, and your feedback is important to us. You can reach out to Paul and Tabitha with comments, questions, or to share an episode with a friend in need through our website at bvhtministries.org.